Welcome to the new and improved It Is Complicated, the podcast that answers every single question with It Is Complicated, now with improved sound. And that's my phone. Welcome to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of this podcast, because it is complicated. Hello, Dr. J. Hello, Josephine. How are you this week? Or when are you this week? Or why are you this week? Oh, these are all good questions. When am I this week? When am I this week? (laughs) I am now. And only now. Not future, not past, but now. How about you, Dr. J? When are you? When am I? I'm I'm kind of about 10 seconds into the future. I like to think that I'm just slightly ahead of the curve, but not by much. So, Dr. J, who are you? Oh, good Lord. Who am I? I am a queer who got to self-define. I got to do basically the self-ID thing. So I got to write my job title, Harbinger of Change at ThoughtWorks. Thank you, ThoughtWorks, for allowing me to be so creative with what I do. And I also got to write my gender, Transgressive Non-Binary Gender Queer. Thank you to the New Zealand government for also allowing me to be so creative. But I'm also a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding. So Josephine, who, what and when are you? Hello, my name is Josephine Baird. I am an independent scholar, activist, and artist. I like to make a spectacle of myself upon the stage, but I also like to draw pictures of queers and post them on the internet. I'm that kind of person. I also like to think of myself as a queer without portfolio because unemployment. And we arrived at a topic for this week. We did, and we may even discuss it. I know, it'll be surprising. Accessibility came up because of a number of things that have happened over the last week. And one of them was me getting some new technology because for me, as somebody who waves their arms when they talk because of my stutter, I use my hands a lot to get the words out of my mouth. I'm really bad with a microphone. I'm bad on stage with a microphone. You literally have to either tape it to my hand and tape my hand to my face or give me a microphone that's attached to my face. So one of the things we've done here, rather than me having a standard podcast mic, is I use a headset with a really good quality noise cancelling mic on it so that I'm always the same distance from the mic no matter what the hell I'm doing with my hands. Because it makes such a difference. I mean, Josephine has tried to do sound control when I've been bouncing around and forgetting that I have a mic on the end of my arm and then suddenly have to bring it back and I drop it on stage and do all kinds of things with it. But accessibility is not just making mics available to other people, but it's about how we make this podcast available to other people, how we make our online world available to other people, and also how we find ways of making that inclusive. Because that to me is central. So one of the other things I've recognized because I've not been using my headset for a number of meetings. So I was on meetings for 10 hours yesterday. You use your declarative voice when you're talking to a flat mic because you need to enunciate to be heard. And it stresses your throat out something chronic. And it's so much easier to talk with a headset on because you don't need to raise your voice. You just talk naturally as if the person is across the room. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why we get so tired from Zoom calls, because we're constantly having to be in that declarative voice and be very clear and open and project your voice. And if you have to project your voice for 10 hours, which was my yesterday, you come out of it going, I really 
don't want to talk to anyone because you've been having to force your voice forward so much. Or maybe that's just me. I spoke to two friends yesterday on a Zoom call who coincidentally are two people I've worked on a great deal of disability access with when I was living in London. And one of them had to excuse themselves from the call sort of halfway through because they were so exhausted from talking on Zoom. And that was what they said. And I've noticed that sort of Zoom fatigue from a number of people when I've been talking to them. And it's often how conversations end at the moment if they're not specifically work-related. I've noticed mm. with friends, if I've been, even if I'm talking to somebody about a project, but we're not contractually obliged to be there for a certain amount of time or for whatever reason, usually the way it ends with is, hi, you know what, can I get off this call? I've been talking on Zoom for all day and I'm absolutely trashed. And that particular person I'm now thinking of, I talked to about one of the reasons why they were so tired. And I believe one of the reasons they were so tired is because their workspace, like so many people's, is not set up for this. It's not accessible to their needs, which is true for anyone who has any access need. And that's why access is so important, because it's a universal thing. It's not something that is specific to someone who has a recognized disability. And that goes beyond the fact that people with disabilities that aren't recognized, which is a huge swath of human beings. And of course, that leads to all sorts of problems. But even the ones that are recognized aren't provided perfect access for. Today, I saw on Twitter, somebody posted a brand new wheelchair, extremely technically advanced, absolutely fabulous, has two points of traction. And this amazing video of like, watch this wheelchair as it turn around and goes upstairs. And the person sitting there smiling as if they're in the advert. Yes, I am going up the stairs in my wheelchair. Truly wonderful. What a marvel of science. And comment number one underneath was, yeah, but why don't you build a ramp? And then everyone could use it. In that advert is the perfect example of what is the distinction between the medical model and the social model of disability and access. And for those of you who may not have heard that term before, it's about removing the responsibility for accessing society from the individual to the society that's made itself inaccessible. So the example that's often quoted is that person over there can't get into that building because they can't walk up the stairs. That's a medical model approach to disability. Social model approach would be that person over there can't get into that building because someone didn't build a ramp. Someone didn't focus on step-free access. Jay and I were talking about this podcast, and when Jay was introducing me to Queer House Party, access was the primary focus of our discussions. And it's made me so happy, because there are so many projects that I've been involved with, including some of my own, and I have to be honest about that. And in the past, I have done projects that have not prioritized access, and I don't ever want to be doing that again. And so when we talk about this podcast and why we were so excited to talk about it today is because we've been trying to introduce new technologies to make this podcast more accessible. Hence the choice of this particular topic. And we've also managed to figure out a way that is sustainable to do some captioning. And we have our first bit of sponsorship, which is enabling us to do that captioning, which is a wonderful thing from our mystery donor. A mystery listener who has insisted not to be named because they are sweet. So we will just speak of them in the third person in that sort of mystery way. And you can spend your time guessing who that might be. It's somebody who has allowed us to focus on accessibility because making an accessible podcast is 
difficult because there isn't good transcription services out there. So one of the reasons I chose the platform that I did, and there are a number of platforms and you do not have to choose the same platform that we did. We ended up on ACAST because they offered a transcription service. And I was like, fantastic. This means that our podcast can be accessible for a given value of accessibility. We can have a podcast that people can listen to, assuming that the interface is accessible and all of that. Turns out they will give you a transcript, but no way of publishing it. And the transcript may not be entirely accurate if you have an accent that is not a North American man's voice. And also use funny words like queer and equality and feminist these technologies were clearly not designed to account for and so your editor i.e me or captioner i.e also me (laughs) to sit there and pour through this thing which i did very recently pour through this transcript and go well we could put it out but it would be comedy (laughs) <laughs> and and uh, we were talking about this like let's make a contest we'll put out the transcription and then ask our listeners to guess which podcast this is actually about we also tried an automatic transcription for queer house party and one of my colleagues is deaf and he finds transcription is the only way to deal with a lot of things and he's been working with a large technology company on improving their automated transcription because it helps him with his day. He can use automated transcription and lip reading to get enough of a sense of what's going on in meetings. And he showed me the technology and said, try it for queer house party. So we did. And hilariously, it couldn't even get queer house party. Every time it was doing queer house party, it was coming up as warehouse party. One of the interesting things was the technology company immediately said, that is really bad. We wish to be more inclusive. Is there any way that we can get an audio recording of the event so we can start to train our systems to hear and use this language better and think about it in this way? So we've given them the stream of the one that we tried to transcribe and they've got a couple of snapshots of where it went wrong. They can see how wrong it goes and they can start to make their transcription service work for parties. Because one of the things was, oh, there's too much background noise. And it's like, yes, it's known as a performance. This person is performing and there is some noise in the background because that is a performance. And they were just like, wow, this is such an interesting use of the technology. Yes, we'd love to play with it, which is great. I'm really pleased that that particular company has taken that approach because yes, access is not regularly considered a priority and it should when an organization chooses to do so, they should be lauded and I'm happy that they do. It also proves a point that access is intersectional because it always is. You, you don't have access in a bubble. You don't access society outside of the other impact of its context. So yes, if you're in a loud club, you still need to be able to access the space. But the presumption of so much access that is actually provided, and when it is, it's not often, it is provided, is on this notion that there's some sort of bubble in which access can happen. It's like, well, we can do audio description, but why would someone want audio description of a very visual event that's dance, say, for example? It's like, well, because they might want to interact with the art. It's also, I think, really important to this notion of like, well, just because your access is different does not mean it's any less valid. Our society has basically said, well, we're accessible to one particular group of people and only them. And it's just too much bother to make it accessible to everyone else. And so it's much more convenient to believe that they don't want to 
or that it's just too difficult mm-hmm. or that it's not important enough or, well, it's just a lot of trouble and, you know, it's just difficult and oh, it's not given any measure of validity. Mm. And that not only devalues the notion of access for everybody, it devalues the people who need those things. And that's really, really disturbing. It just allows for that kind of discrimination, that notion of dehumanizing people. For me, having worked in this arena professionally, I'm living with a partner who has access needs as well. I have my own. I'm very, very aware of the fact that when somebody who doesn't understand access needs tries to put in access, they want to feel really good about themselves, but they don't want to do any more work. And they especially don't want to be criticized for that. And it's like... First off, there's a difference between critique of your access and criticism of you as a human being. And the second point being, which I think is a relevant one, if we're talking about tech or any industry of any kind, really, is perhaps you talk to your end user about whether or not your software solution works for them, because it's supposed to work for them. Mm. And if you include their voices in the discussion from the beginning, you can make those services work for them. I mean, and that's the thing about trial and error mm. is the thing about access is that I understand even from my own sense of access needs is that so many things are an imperfect fit because we live in, in a world that cannot be everything to everyone at every time. So my particular access need in one particular area, even if it's exactly the same as someone else's, may be interpreted quite different mm. and require quite different needs. Access can often be not entirely universal and So people are frightened to even do any access at all, which is counterproductive. But it does mean that when you're doing things that can be accessible, often you have to trial and error. You have to start. Someone has to try it first. You test it out and you go, "Yeah, is this good enough? And you get feedback from people saying, well, this bit works, but this bit doesn't. And how can we fix this bit? And that allows you to go, ah, I can't fix this bit, but I know that this works. So let's figure out how I balance this out what other things do you use? And we started talking about the model and thinking about it in a slightly different way and thinking about how people use it in a way that makes sense. And it's about a cultural perception of who's valuable in using your service. Who do you care to include? Because in any service design, especially software, since you brought it up, you would be thinking about how can I make this accessible to my end user? And you have an end user in mind. You have a person in mind. How might they access this? Where's the best place to put an icon so they'll see it? How can we make sure that the system doesn't have too many clicks through endless menus in order to make it much more accessible to someone? These are all things that one applies to a generic, hegemonic, if you will, normative, I know you like that word, uh, user. But if we change the definition of what a normative user is to include any number of other issues, your product simply becomes better you can make it more accessible, which means more people can engage with it, which means your product does more of what it should do. This is how I think these things logically should work. My colleague, Matthew Johnson, um, who works for Scope, has a really good point on this, which is there is a huge market for access. There is a huge market of people who just don't use the service. And you brought it up when you talked to venues about your work with Suzanne bull yeah and um, attitude is everything about how by publicizing that you're accessible everyone comes to that club because it's the accessible club and that's one of the things with queer house party we keep on publicizing it's accessible because 
it is one of the few online places that really is centering accessibility and is making sure it's inclusive in so many different ways. But that means that more people can come along, more people can take part in it simply because it's available to more people. It fits into the world for more people. They can come along and enjoy it without having to fight, if that makes sense. Absolutely. But I mean, this is why, in a way, I'm reticent to make a capitalist argument in this regard. However, Attitude is Everything is an, a wonderful organization that works for disabled people's access to live music as audience members, but also as artists, as well as people working in the industry in general. And I was a PA to the CEO, Suzanne Bull, who's amazing, and who I still am in touch with. And we talk about these things regularly. And one of the things that we used to do is when we'd go to a venue and try to convince them to put more access into their space was by saying, well, we work with Reading Festival. And Reading Festival has been working on prioritizing access for many years at that point. And one of the things that they could always boast was that the number of disabled people who were going to their festival was going up exponentially every single year. And they could show it in terms of numbers and percentages. And if you're working in the music industry, especially live music, you know that audience sizes fluctuate tremendously and especially can go down very radically and very quickly. So anything that is a guaranteed success is extremely interesting to this industry. And Reading and Leeds Festival has been so successful with its accessibility that they one year started to have problems with the size of their viewing ramp getting so big that it was going to start obscuring the site for the people who were not using it. It was a problem of success. If you are supposed to be a capitalist organization who are run by getting money, why are you turning away money? But this is the same thing that happens with software and with websites, yes. is access is seen as an add-on, as an add-on extra, as something we'll do when we've got it up and running, rather than something to center rather than something to think about from the start. And that's that inclusion. It's not thinking about access in the abstract. It's thinking about inclusion in the concrete. When you build, and this is going to be my advice to anyone who's a BA service designer or doing any kind of this stuff out there with products, when you build your users and you build your personas, something I hate, but we can get into that in another time, build them with access needs. This is the thing about society that I think is particularly... How to put this? Fact. Society likes to believe that it's a rational entity, which it is absolutely not. It is the most irrational entity you can think of. Society doesn't realize that every single human being at some point will have their access needs change. Access is a universal issue. It is not an individual issue. When you say, I can't walk without a stick, it's like you can't access all the places that don't allow you to walk with your stick because you yes. do walk, you just walk with a stick. Yes. And that's the difference changes the notion of what an access need actually is. Everybody will eventually have a yes. different access need. Now, don't get me wrong. The word disability is a useful word to use, but I think generally the notion of access can be universalized, not just to this. It's true across all sorts of intersections of identity, spaces that are not accessible to trans people because they're not set up to allow for the differences in our bodies in relation to who we are, or it's not accessible to people of different race because they're just not accounted for or normalized in those spaces. There is a norm, which I know Jay has invented this wonderful character norm, and we need to talk about this at some point. The norm 
the presumed person is so homogenic and so narrow as to be a complete minority in relation to the rest of society. And that's why I want access to become a universal issue. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think it's one of the reasons why access needs to be centred in your thinking about inclusion. It's also thinking about things like everyone's like, oh, it's so wonderful. Everyone can work from home and everything's moved online and things like that. But that's also highlighting a vast number of inequalities. It's highlighting a vast number of inequalities in terms of space, in terms of the way somebody lives. And let's not get into the access to the the cost of decent broadband, the cost of a decent computer, the cost of a desk, the cost of a quiet space within your house where you're not being disturbed by other members of your household. All of those things have an economic cost for a lot of people. These things are not as easy, as simple as possible. I know people who end up spending the entire day in their bedroom, sitting on the floor, working, because that's the only space where they can do their calls from because that is the only space that they literally have and it means that everything else that goes on has to be accommodated around it but this is much more about social societal inequalities it's the same thing though it is the same thing the same thing it's virginia wolf talked about this in a room of one's own you know i've never read it well the premise is basic in the sense that in order to function and be able to do something someone needs a room you need a room of your own to do things in If you don't have a room of your own, then you can't do certain things. You can't create in the same way. Say in our home, we're very, very lucky. We have a room in which my wife can have her art is making clothes. As she designs them, she makes them with sewing machines. She needs a space in order to put out lots of fabric and to be able to create patterns. That requires room. If she doesn't have that room, she can't do it. And so the point of Virginia Woolf's book about her room of one's own was that women very rarely have a room. They have no private space, not really. Even though their entire domain is private and men's domain is public, that's not even true because the private space is also dominated by men mostly. And in that particular era, Virginia Woolf was making a point about, if I have a room of my own, I can write this kind of book. If I don't, I can't. And so that's about access and inequality. The notion is, it's not about having a room, it's about having an accessible space. It's about having a room conceptually. Do you have space to do this in? Is the space accessible to you? If it is, then your society is likely to be more equal. If you don't, those voices not only will not be equal, they simply won't be heard. They'll be excluded. You make a very good point about the recent COVID situation and people having to lock down and be inside has demonstrated not only a number of inequalities, it's also demonstrated a couple of things that people used to say were things that could not happen. Remote working could never happen. Yeah, being able to work from home. My wife, who has mobility impairment, who's having trouble going to work, can now work significantly more because she's working from home. She's not expending energy to get into an inaccessible environment using inaccessible public transport. No, she's in her accessible home using her accessible equipment to do her job and she's not exhausted but of course that is a presumption of a certain amount of privilege in the sense that she can do that and we have access to that technology and thank goodness and this is how our talk started that jay and i were very pleased that we were able to get some technology to make the access to our podcast better 
we've been sponsored by someone who I'm really sad I can't tell you who it is because honestly, this is my favorite way to get money for this podcast. It's the first time we've gotten any money for the podcast. And the person who is giving it to us is specifically highlighting access. Yes. They're paying for me to transcribe the podcast, something I wanted to do anyway, but I couldn't consistently because I just didn't have the time of my day because I wasn't being paid for it. So now that I am, I can set aside that time and go, I can now do this. It's wonderful. But it requires those who have the privilege to make that decision to make that active decision. Everyone talks about, oh, you can just put it up with captions. And it's like, there is no captioning software for podcasts. One, two, automatic captions just don't work with some voices. Like my voice, any kind of transcription software struggles with. I tried Dragon Dictate for a while. And I found it really impossible for me, simply because with my stutter, it's putting pressure on me to speak the same way as often as possible. And I don't. I say the same sounds in slightly different ways, depending on what's before and after them. And that was getting it so fucking confused. Admittedly, this was 15 years ago that I tried it, but I have not seen it work better when I've seen stuff transcribed because it doesn't pick up even the way that I say my name it often doesn't pick up correctly having worked on a transcription just today <laughs> that was based on a an automatic transcription of our first podcast I can tell you that it most certainly does not know to spell your name <laughs> and I've been working with the same software for the last 20 years because I've been working with people with different access needs and know that technology is not improving quickly enough and again it targets a certain normative notion of communication style, which if you have a speech impairment or you have any kind of other non-normative speech pattern, whatever that may be. If you're not a man with a mid-range voice, with, and I don't quite know which American accent, but it's not a thick American accent, it's yeah. that educated American accent yeah. that's quite neutral, it's that accent that it picks up really well. And it picks up educated British moderately well. But somebody like me, it just goes and... I mean, I had to look at the transcript and I didn't even recognize half the words what I'd said. I learned how to do it with the Apple version of speech recognition. I was only able to do it by affecting an extremely bizarre way of speaking. Because I started Oh, I want to hear this now. I will do it for you. I'll, okay, yeah, here we go. Here's a, here's a little bit of text I've been writing. And this is how I do it for the Apple recognition. And if I do it, it might actually get it. It goes like this. Feminist methodologies and epistemologies provides a useful and pertinent framework to examine the processes of knowledge formation, especially in relation to the, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. You have to staccato it. And this is why, because the human voice is a weird thing. When we're talking, you interpret it as word, space, word, space, word, space. That's not what human communication it's is. It's noise from your mouth hole. It's noise from your mouth hole. It is the same as singing. And when you edit sound, you realize it as well. It's a wave and there are very few gaps actually between words. So if you're talking to a computer, one of the quickest ways to get it to actually hear separate words is to make sure every word is its own sound. I had to sorry, learn this really odd way of speaking in order to get the speech recognition to software to work remotely. And that's the best I could ever get speech recognition software to work. It assumes that you're in a bubble where you don't mind people overhearing what you say. That ain't living in fucking London, mate. If you're working in an open plan office, that isn't going to happen. 
for example. And this is the thing. The culture that we've got set up is not set up for the notion of anyone having any access issue that isn't considered normative. And that includes, as you've rightly said several times, (laughs) a white middle-aged man with a certain set of access abilities. That's it. This is why it's so disturbing. So weirdly enough, the, the speech recognition software is not set up for you, someone who has a stutter, who may want that more or need it more. Tech companies don't tend to be run by non in. I was going to say non-included. Maybe that's the right word for us. Hmm. Not included. People what are not normally included. I like that because I've been wondering about this term, like vulnerable is something I've heard. Minority, which is a misnomer. I think, yeah, non-included. Because it also throws the notion to the person doing the thing, you haven't included somebody. It's not throwing it on me. It's my fault because I as a minority. They're not included people. The people who aren't included in the software need to be included in it. The people who aren't included in this conversation need to be included in it. The people who aren't included in this online world we need to find a way to include and it's about again recognizing the extra work someone who has to put that access work into will have to do in order simply to do the job that you want them to so for instance an interesting little bit of research that popped up about scholars and academics was that when lockdown happened male scholarly work increased of course it fucking did and whose scholarly work didn't let me guess the not included people so i'm going to say the black trans woman feminist activist working class person and what you can't see and i shall audio describe for you this moment is josephine vigorously nodding her head yes that is the case and we all know exactly why we now have to go into it so i think the conclusion which i really like the non-included or not included peoples because they're not the minority they are the majority we are the majority we're not included which if the society actually was a capitalist utopia it purports to be, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So it can't possibly be a capitalist society. Thus capitalism has been overthrown. Thank you very much and good night. You have just disappeared in a puff of your own logic. I'm so, str- I'm so struggling with my stutter today. It was 10 hours of calls yesterday and a, yeah. and a stressful call today. So I'm just, I'm, I'm putting this in that I am aware that I'm constantly stuttering on a hard D and I'm doing everything I can to avoid it or slur into it. And there are times where Josephine is having to deal with the jazz style J talking of these big long pauses before a word because I'm literally having to go I know that I can do this I'm gonna run up to it and leap as hard as I can and I'm sure I can get oh I got I got across there quick say all the other words very very quickly until we hit another barrier and then I shall respond like this Josephine does not have a problem with this (laughs) you said you have to work hard or you have a problem with it I don't I can make this podcast accessible by editing so that anything that would make that less accessible to someone is removed but keeping your voice intact That's not something that's too difficult. What is difficult is to make this podcast as accessible to as many people as possible who want to listen to it in the way that they can access it, which involves, for example, transcription, which someone is paying for me to do because they've chosen to use their privilege and their resources to make that possible. So the truth is your stutter is no imposition whatsoever. (laughs) What's an imposition is for me to get paid to have the time to make this podcast accessible to everybody. And if we're going to talk about access needs, I have my own access needs. I manage those access needs. At this point, I feel confidently and well. 
but they are there and it would be a lie to suggest that they aren't. I can manage those access things because I got the support to learn how to do that in this current culture. And I've been given those things by the environment I am and the people I happen to know. I am very keen to make sure that that is a universal support for everyone because I have been lucky enough to get that. I know what it's like not to. I've seen my friends who have to deal with other access needs not get that access. It's so unnecessary, so unequal, so ridiculous, and it punctures the notion of this objective so-called society that says it is a meritocracy when it's like, no, there's some very talented people that you just don't include because you can't imagine someone talking to you without using this noise hole that I burp my sounds out of. And um, at some point, I'm going to talk a bit more about my access needs. I won't do it today, but Mm. sometimes we have to manage them ourselves, but most often we can support them with the help of others. And honestly, if we prioritize that, I think those access needs will become simply that, an access need. I'm about to be involved in a number of online forums and online events, and I'm very keen to push accessibility for them. But I also know that these places are saying, oh, but that's going to cost money and I'm not sure and we're not sure that we can do that. Isn't that expensive? And I'm like, have you gone and talked to somebody about it? Have you costed this up? Have you determined what it would cost to provide some captioning at a minimum? It's very much trying to say to people, just go cost up putting in one piece of access. And just by putting in one piece of access, you'll see how much more accessible your space is. So you put in another one and you put in another one and you build on that foundation. You don't have to do it all at once. Figure out what you can do and then get that one right and then work on building on that foundation. So we have a Twitter and a Patreon. Then we should tell them and then they can get in touch. Well, our Twitter is, it is complicated without the E. And our Patreon has an E both in the word Patreon and it is complicated, all one word. Go there and please do consider becoming a patron and helping us make more queer things happen. We will make them as accessible as we possibly can. And if we're not making them accessible enough, let us know. So with that in mind, Dr. Che, what should we talk about next week? She would have tweeted again. That new mic didn't save you from that noise as your head (laughs) bounced (laughs) off the table just now. That is known as nearly face-pumming myself to unconsciousness. Well, let's leave it there before we get ourselves into more trouble. (laughs) Good episode. (laughs) 